I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law does he meditate day and night. I will delight myself in thy statutes, and I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live, and keep thy word. Open thou my eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of your Torah. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In Yeshua's name, amen. So today is an unusual Sabbath as there is no uh, regular Torah reading. The Torah reading usually has to do with Passover and with the Feast of First Fruits and things of this nature. So it kind of frees us up to uh, kind of do a little bit something different uh, for our message this afternoon. Now you've heard of a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Yep. And we know that that means deception. So if there's a wolf in sheep's clothing, it's a wolf that's disguised as a sheep to kind of be a mole, kind of blend in to the sheep herd for the sole purpose of destroying the sheep, for the sole purpose of taking advantage of the innocent, harmless, helpless sheep. That, uh, that, that, that saying, that phrase has been used in religious circles uh, to denote false prophets and false teachers. Uh, ministers that want to prey on old ladies with on income, low income, and on their pensions to seal their money from them so they can make themselves rich. We've seen that effect of all these TV evangelists who have multi-million dollar homes, not just one, two or three. They have, you know, uh, uh, private jets, and in and of themselves, those things are not wrong. But when you're neglecting the, the edifying of the saints and the winning of the lost and and taking care of the widow and the and, and the orphan. These things are wrong, and, and a lot of times these rich ministers are caught in false doctrine. They, they are deemed as wolf in sheep's clothing. And even Paul kind of warns about the wolves in sheep's clothing, especially after he passes away. He was kind of the watchdog of the early church. And he was edifying all these new uh, congregations that were sprouting everywhere. And, and he was just kind of de uh, debunking false doctrines left and right. And he's like, just be careful after I die because the, the wolves are going to come in. You know, when, when there's no watchdog, you go to a junkyard or you go to a house and it says beware of dog, but there's no dog. People are just going to go in and take whatever they want. And it was in the time of Ignatius where Ignatius, the power kind of went to his head. And he started making himself kind of a, a, a king of sorts of the first century believers. And he was kind of making dictatorial decisions and statements and was taking Christendom down a wrong path. But today I want to talk about not a wolf in sheep's clothing, but a lion in lamb's clothing. A lion in lamb's clothing. The book of Revelation is very unusual. It has some very odd uh, images that the words paint. You know, and a lot of people say, well, are we to take that literally or are we to take that symbolically? You know, context usually denotes what you can take literally and what you can take symbolically. But we're going to be talking about a lion in lamb's clothing. I remember the lion and the witch in the wardrobe, not just the book, but the movie. And Aslan, the lion, somebody asked, well, is he dangerous? Well, of course he's dangerous. He's a lion. 
But yet at the same time, Aslan was the most gentle of lions. You could snuggle right up to him, but he was dangerous if you crossed him or if you threatened him. It kind of reminds me of a lion that maybe you see on the savanna, and they're basking in the sun, and they just look so calm and peaceful and serene, and their eyes are just kind of squinty, and they're just kind of, yeah, it's, it's a big cat, and they're kind of squinting their eyes and just sunning themselves, and you look, and it's deceptive. You think to yourself, man, I could just, I could just go up to that lion and just snuggle up to that lion and just take a nap or nuzzle right up. No, it's a wild animal. It'll bite your head off. You know, looks can be deceiving. It's a lion. It's like a lion in lamb's clothing. John 1.29 says, well, if you're going to find a place to turn, go to John, uh, no, go to Matthew 27 first. That's probably the first long passage we're going to read. The, I'm just going to be quoting some verses here. So as you turn to Matthew 27, huh? 27 what? Uh, starting with verse 11. Matthew 27, 11. But John 1, 29 says, and this is John the Baptist, Yochanan the Immerser, as he's known in Hebrew. He is Yeshua's cousin. And he said of Yeshua, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. What an interesting statement. Behold, the Lamb of God. It means, look. Look here, behold, pay attention, look right over there, where I'm pointing. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know about you, but I've never been scared by a lamb. I mean, a lamb could, could meh, meh, kind of chase after me and I'm like, oh, how cute. Even if the lamb wants to be a little bit mean and kind of bump, you know, buck me like it's trying to be a, a goat. And I'm like... <laughs> Uh, is that all you got, little lamb? That didn't even hurt. You know, I mean, you're not going to be scared of a lamb. But behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A lamb of God that can take away the sin of the world is a pretty bad lamb. I mean, I think of a lamb with leather jacket and tattoos and piercings. I mean, that's a tough lamb to take away the sin of the world. Behold the lamb of God. And that saying, lamb of God is just burned and ingrained within the Hebrew mind because lambs were the most common uh, sacrificial animals that atoned for sin, where the blood covered the sin. Didn't take it away, it just covered it for a temporary amount of time. It was like a credit card where you just amassed this amount of debt. It was paid for on the front, you know, but you still owed something later because it was it was racking up debt. So John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just covers it up, but takes away. And then Paul reminds us and kind of brings what John says home in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, where he says, Messiah, our Passover lamb, not just the lamb of God that took away the sin of the world, but the sp a specific lamb, a Passover lamb. What's a Passover lamb all about? A Passover lamb is so that death will pass us over. And death is the curse of sin. Death is going to pass over us. Because we have the blood of the Passover lamb applied to our lives, the doorposts of our hearts. Messiah, our Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, 7. He, that is Messiah, that is the lamb of God, that is our Passover lamb. He was oppressed and afflicted. Oppressed and afflicted. Basically, he was mobbed. 
I don't know if you've ever been ganged up on by a, a, a group of people and beat up by a group of people, but you're oppressed and afflicted. And when you're oppressed and afflicted, I don't know about you, I'm just not going to sit there and take it. I'm going to be saying, help, help, or I'm going to be swinging and kicking and biting and clawing and doing everything I can to get away from the mob that's trying to afflict me, that's trying to oppress me. But that wasn't Yeshua. And Yeshua wasn't a wimp. He took it because he was that tough. Now I'm wearing this army jacket that I wore in high school that I drew a picture of the crucifixion. And I've been criticized of how I drew Yeshua. Wow, don't you think he was, you don't think he was really that muscular, do you? Uh, yeah. Because what was he? He was a carpenter, which meant more than just working with wood. In ancient times, a carpenter also was a stonemason. He was, he was cut. He was muscular. I mean, it, it, he wasn't working with DeWalt or Milwaukee power tools. He was working with his hands, the, the saw that you have to push back and forth with the teeth that you had to sharpen. He had to use an auger of some sort to drill holes. He had to use axe to chop down a tree and then find some way to split the tree and plane the tree. He had to carry logs on his shoulders. He had to use a planer and plane the wood to get it smooth. He had to use, he had to sand. I mean, he was tough. He was built. He walked everywhere he went. He was muscular. So the prophet said he was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he didn't open his mouth. He didn't cry out for help. He didn't say, stop, what are you doing? Leave me alone. I don't deserve this because he didn't deserve any of it. Yet in, in the situation, if we were put in that situation, we'd say, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. What, what are we, why are you oppressing me? Help, help. Leave me alone. You'd be kicking and fighting back, but Yeshua didn't. He was oppressed and afflicted, and he didn't open his mouth. What's our natural response when somebody points at you and claims you did something? Hey, you stole my whatever. Defend yourself. Defend yourself. What? No, I didn't steal anything. Who do, you, who do you think you are? Prove it. We will automatically want to defend ourselves. But yet when Yeshua was accused... It says he didn't even open up his mouth, not just when he was beat, not just when he was uh, afflicted and oppressed, but when he was accused, he didn't open his mouth. And Isaiah says in 53, 7, like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before the shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Sheep are dumb. I mean, I don't know of any sheep that you say, hey, Mr. Sheep, what's two plus two? <laughs> like a horse would, you know? I mean, you don't see a flock of wild sheep roaming the forest. It's a domestic animal. It requires a shepherd to protect the sheep because it's just open prey. It's a dumb animal. Sheep are so dumb, they can drown while standing on dry ground. Because in Psalm 23, it says, he leads me beside still waters. A good shepherd knows you can't lead a sheep to a running stream of water because they'll be drinking and the water will run up his nose because the nostrils are parallel with its mouth. And as it's slurping the water, the water's going through its nose and into its lungs and it dr drowns on dry ground. It's a dumb animal. We are all like sheep and have gone astray. The Lord considers us as sheep. 
we're dumb. We don't know enough to protect ourselves. We don't know what's good for us. We always want what's bad for us. Sheep are the ultimate ADHD animal. Sheep's trotting along. Ooh, something shiny and trots off because the shepherd's always having to leave the 99 to save the one because it wanders off. It's not paying attention. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. A sheep is just happy-go-lucky, just da -da 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 -da, trotting along the trail, not knowing that there's scorpions and snakes on the roadside in that path, in that valley of shadow of death. And the shepherd has to be on the lookout, not only for the snakes and the scorpions, but the lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Oh my, right. You have to watch out for those things. And that's why he has the rod and the staff, the, the, the rod to bop those bears on the head and the, and the staff to, you know, the shepherd's crook to bring those wandering sheep back into close range. They used to do worse Yeah. With the wandering sheep, sometimes they break away. That's right. When a sheep would wander, the leg would be broken. And then the, the sheep would be on the shepherd's back for however long it took for the leg to heal. And the sheep would fall in love with the shepherd's heartbeat and would never leave the shepherd again. So it says like a lamb led to the slaughter. If you're going to go and slit a lamb's throat, it's not knowing what you're doing until you actually do it. They're, they don't know any better. So like a lamb led to the slaughter. Yeshua was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't open up his mouth. He didn't say anything. He let it happen. Like a sheep before the shears is silent. When they sheared Yeshua of his garments, they stripped him naked. He never opened up his mouth like a sheep being sheared. So let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. So it says, Now Yeshua stood before the governor. The governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? You say so, Yeshua said. And while he was accused by the ruling Kohanim, that is the priest and the elders, You blasphemed! You said this and you did that! Yeshua said, Oh yeah? Who do you think you are? I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. How dare you talk to me that way? No! no. It says he did not answer. He did not answer. How many of us would be biting our tongues till they bled because we'd be so tempted to defend ourselves? But it says, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how many things they testify against you? Yeshua says, yeah, I heard it. No, no. I No, it says, Yeshua did not answer. Not even one word. So the governor was greatly amazed why is the governor greatly amazed it's like he didn't defend himself like typical people would i mean i've been in prison ministry before and usually when you go into prison ministry i don't know if you know this but everybody in prison's innocent did you know that everybody in everybody in prison's been framed because as soon as you go in there what are you in for well i'm in for this but this is what really happened and they defend themselves and they're all lawyers. <laughs> yeah, they're all lawyers, armchair lawyers. You know, so it, it's refreshing. You know, I've had a few inmates that I've dealt with that they're like, yep, I'm in here for this, and yep, I did it, and yep, I deserve this. Actually, I probably deserve worse. Those are the kind that I you can pretty much trust because they're like, they're right up front. 
So I'm sure that Pilate was used to people defending. No, you don't understand, Pilate. It wasn't me. I was framed. I was set up. No, I didn't do this. It was the other guy defending themselves. But Yeshua didn't do that. He didn't even open up his mouth. And because of that, it says that Pilate was amazed. It says he was greatly amazed. Uh, all right. Let's jump to verse 26. Then he, that is Pilate, released unto him Barabbas, or Barabba. Did you know, you know what Barabbas' first name was? Jesus. Jesus. Hmm. Do you know what Barabbas means? Son of the Father. Interesting. Yeshua, Jesus, is the son of Father God. He's the real son of the Father. He's the real McCoy. And yet they let the fake one go. They let Jesus, Barabbas, Bar Abba, Jesus, son of the Father, go. He was the false Messiah. He was the revolutionary. He was the one that was murdering people. He was the one that was doing what probably the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of. And they let the counterfeit one go. Then he released unto him Barabba. And after he had Yeshua scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. There's a whole lot we could say about that. He was scourged and hand, uh, many of the guys didn't even survive the scourging. They died before they got to the cross because the scourging was so brutal. And I, I mean, Mel Gibson probably did one of the best jobs of portraying the brutality of the crucifixion, but even he still falls woefully, painfully short. I mean, Yeshua's body was reduced to raw hamburger meat. You could probably see his, his ribs protruding. Literally, you could see bone. Some men that were scourged were disemboweled as they were scourged because there was not enough sound flesh to beat on anymore, and the entrails just fell out and they died. And Yeshua endured that. There was not one sound piece of flesh on his body from his back to his legs. He was beat up and down. So it says he was scourged, and then he was handed over to be crucified. Now I want to turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Starting with verse 8. John chapter 19, verse 8. When Pilate heard this word, he became even more fearful. He went into the praetorium again and said to Yeshua, Where are you from? But Yeshua gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You aren't speaking to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you? And I have the authority to crucify you? Wow. If you if some if somebody had your life in their hands, what yes, you would plead for it. You would say or do anything that you could to have your life spared. Yep, Yeshua knew what he had to do. 
And, and, and how soon did Yeshua know this? When he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, did it just occur to Jesus? Oh, yeah, I've got to die for the sins of the world. No. He, knew. He, knew. he knew. He knew before he was born. Yeah. He knew. Yeah. Because it says in prophecy that Yeshua was slain even before the foundation of the world. It was already determined that he was going to die even before God created the world. It was ordained. That's how far he knew. He knew back all the way in eternity past. When Pilate heard the word, he, he became even more fearful. He went into the praetorium again and said to Yeshua, where are you from? But Yeshua gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you aren't speaking to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you? And I have the authority to crucify you? Verse 14. It was the day of preparation for Passover, about the sixth hour. And Pilate said to the, to the Judean leaders, Behold your king. So Yeshua was crucified around the exact same time that the temple was flooded with Passover lamb sacrifices. It was preparation day. People needed their lamb sacrificed so they could go home and roast them in time to have the Passover meal that night. So at the very moment that the Passover lamb was being slain and sacrificed, Yeshua himself was being crucified. And he was crucified in the exact same way the very first Passover lambs were sacrificed in the book of Exodus. And uh, so this is kind of a rerun for those who were here for the Romans class uh, on Thursday. But if you'll just bear with me, for those who weren't here and didn't hear, Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, we're going to read the first seven verses. Now Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month will mark the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of the year for you, and tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one lamb for the household. So on the tenth day, they brought in a lamb to inspect until the fourteenth day. Yeshua was being inspected by the Pharisees and the religious rulers when he came in on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That was as if the lamb was being taken into the house, into the house of Jerusalem, if you will. But if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor are to take one according to the number of people, according to each, pers uh, according to each person's eating. In other words, you know how much a person can eat, you know, ration it out so there's no leftovers, basically, is what it's saying. You are to make your count for the lamb. Your lamb is to be without blemish and a year old. You are to take it from the sheep or from the goats. You must watch over it until the 14th day of the same month. That's to make sure that the lamb didn't have any blemishes or spots or wasn't sick or whatever. And that's the same thing that happened with Yeshua. They were watching him as soon as he entered Jerusalem on, on the 10th day during the triumphal entry. And was scrutinizing him until the 14th day when they took him to crucify him. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. What did the people of Israel say? Let his blood be upon our heads and upon the heads of our children. It's the whole house of Israel that slaughtered Yeshua. Just like it says here, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. They are to take the blood and put it on the two doorposts. And upon the cross beams of the house where they shall eat it. 
Just as the Passover lamb's blood was put on the doorpost, Yeshua's blood was put on the cross. Now, the reason I say that the first Passover lamb was slaughtered in an identical way Yeshua was slaughtered is because the way they roasted it is when they took the lamb, they had to gut the lamb. So they split the lamb, took its entrails out, and wrapped the entrails around the head because the commandment was to roast the lamb with its entrails. Now, if you roasted the entrails inside the body, it wouldn't be good for the meat. It would rot everything. So you had to put the entrails on the head. That kind of reminds you of the crown of thorns. So they had the, the, the spit that they put the lamb on. They crossed the lamb's legs, tied it. But in order to keep the, the uh, wound opened so that they could take the entrails out and wrap it around the head, they created a crossbar for this roasting spit, and they tied the lamb's arms, the, the front legs to that, so that the chest and the belly would stay open to allow the entrails to be around the head. So it looks like the lamb was being crucified as it was roasting over the fire. It's called a cruciform lamb. Now I want to take you to Revelation. A, a lion in lamb's clothing. A lion in lamb's clothing. So in Revelation chapter 5. Just interesting words how it was written. Revelation chapter 5, starting with verse 5. Then one of the elders tells me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. So we're talking about a lamb. But in the very next verse, says nothing about a lamb, or nothing about a lion. So in the first verse, it's a lion. Then the one of the elders tell me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is triumphed. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders, he didn't see a lion, though that's what the angel told him would be there, a lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah is going to open the seals. But he didn't see a lion. He saw a lamb. It says, I saw a lamb standing as having been slain. That is one bad lamb. One tough lamb. I saw a lamb standing. Not laying down. Not defeated. Not knocked out like a, a, a boxing opponent. I saw a lamb standing as having been slain. It was slain, but yet still standing on its feet. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. So basically we find out it's the lamb that cracks these seals. So basically what John the Revelator is saying is that the lion and the lamb are one and the same. You have a lion in lamb's clothing. The lion and the lamb are one. Now, let's go to Revelation 6. Let's go with to verse 15. These words are almost comical if you sit and think about it. Uh, 6, 615. So we see in chapter 5, about the line of the tribe of Judah, but yet is portrayed as a lamb that had been slain, but yet still standing, still alive, still on its feet. It's the one that was powerful enough and worthy enough to break the seals.
But then we move on to Revelation 6, verses 15 through 17. It says, the kings of the earth and the great men and the military commanders and the rich and the mighty and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves among the rocks of the mountains. And they, and they tell the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. <laughs> wrath excuse me excuse wrath of the lamb wrath of the lamb really could you imagine some big tough guy out in a sheep pasture flinging his hands around like a little girl oh, oh, running away from a lamb chasing him oh it's a lamb oh lamb like what's the lamb gonna do to you really gonna bite your ankles Gonna butt you in the leg and make you fall. What's a lamb? What's a, what can a lamb do to you? But yet these people in Revelation were so terrified of this of this lamb that had been slain yet still standing. Said, fall, let the rocks fall on us. We'd rather be squished to death and crushed and pulverized and hid by the rocks than to experience the wrath of the lamb. A lion in lamb's clothing. It's the lion that was going to jump out of this slain lamb that they were terrified of. The wrath of the lamb. It's comical if you really think about it. From the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? So, it's kind of like... It's kind of like a star. Stars are pretty powerful in and of themselves. But stars become more powerful when they die. What happens is, is all the fuel is spent in the star. And it swells and expands to a red giant. Then it goes supernova. When it goes supernova, it explodes and it obliterates everything for light years. And then usually what happens is because the star explodes and the internal fuel or the internal part of the star becomes so dense, it collapses in on itself and creates a black hole that nothing can escape from that we know of. It's so powerful, not even light can escape a black hole. It's like an atom. An atom is more powerful when you split it. What happens when you split an atom? Kaboom, yeah. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Exactly. That's how powerful an atom is when, it's, when it dies, when it splits. That's how powerful a star is when it dies. Think how much, maybe that's why they were talking about the wrath of the lamb, because the lamb became more powerful when the lamb was slain. When it died, when it rose from the dead. And, you know, to, to quote a Star Wars, remember Obi-Wan Kenobi? He willingly gave his life so Luke and Leia and Han can get away. And Darth Vader killed him with a lightsaber. And he said, I'm going to become more powerful. I don't care. I don't care if I die. Go ahead and kill me. I'll be more powerful. He was more powerful after he died than he was living as a Jedi. So something that looks so innocent and so vulnerable can be so vicious. The wrath of the Lamb. I want to read to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 27. It 
So we've been talking about things that just seem ludicrous, that seem ridiculous, that seem comical almost. And yet it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, Yet God has chosen the foolish things of the world so that he might put to shame the wise. He got a pit bull? <laughs> Whatever. I got a lamb, bro. My lamb can beat up your pit bull. You're a fool. You're an idiot. You're foolish. They don't know what you know. They, yeah, they don't know what I know. But it says he... It says, yet God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So, so you put to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of this world. Yeah, my horse, my horse can pull, you know, a 20-ton truck. Yeah, wait till you see my lamb. Let's hook up my lamb to that 20-ton truck. <laughs> what? Your little lamb? So it says... And it says he, um, he uses the weak things of the world so that he might put to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly and despised things of this world. Things that are nothing, as nothing, so that he might bring to nothing the things that are. He humiliates the self-righteous. Yeah. He humiliates the self-righteous. God is flipping everything on its head. Everything we thought we knew, he's just going to flip it topsy-turvy on its ears. A, lamb, a wrath of the lamb? A lamb defeating enemies? People crying because they're afraid of the wrath of the lamb? They should be. They don't know what we know. And we need to tell them. So in verse 18, going back to... Uh, yeah, jumping up to verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How many times have you heard others say, it doesn't make sense. How can somebody, how can, you know, a God dying for you? That doesn't even make sense. I mean, death is death. It's defeat. It's, they, th they think it's ludicrous. It doesn't make sense. Jesus dying on the cross can save us from our sins. And it's the most powerful symbol of love and victory and conquering that has ever been. Yet it's foolishness to people who don't get it, who don't understand. Just as foolish as the wrath of the lamb is to people. Oh, I'm not going to be scared of a little lamb. I'm not going to run away from a lamb. What can a lamb do to me? It's a lion in lamb's clothing. A lion in lamb's clothing. So at the heart of our Passover lamb, Messiah Yeshua, beats the heart of a lion from the tribe of Judah. It's the lamb that's going to usher in the lion. We know that Yeshua the Messiah came as the lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, who takes away the sin of the world. And how many times have we held our newborn child and said, oh, you're a sweet little lamb. You're my little lamb. You're so, you know, we say that because they're so sweet, so helpless, so innocent. They're a lamb. And so Yeshua came first as a lamb, but he's returning as a lion. That lion is going to exude from the lamb and become the wrath of the lamb. So I'll finish by reading Revelation 19. Revelation 19. This is how this lamb, this lion in lamb's clothing... How he's going to appear when people see him, and no wonder people are going to say, 
rocks fall on us and protect us from the wrath of the Lamb. Because this is the way the appearance, this is the way John describes them. 1911. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, the one riding on it called Faithful and True. And he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes are a flame of fire. His eyes are a flame of fire. How much would that freak you out? You see somebody's eyes begin to burn and glow as if it was a hot coal. I mean, you know, that's the thing that children are afraid of. I've seen eyes in my bedroom. There are two red eyes looking at me. This is the boogeyman. So, you know, a fiery eyes would, would strike fear. His eyes <clears throat> are like a flame of fire. And many royal crowns are on his head. Why are there many crowns on his head? It symbolizes every king he's conquered. Every king he's defeated and beat, he wears their crown to humiliate that former king and to say, I'm the king. <clears throat> and many crowns on his head. He has a name written that no one, uh, no one knows except himself. That means Yeshua is going to return as a Torah-obedient Jew with seat on his sides. Because the seat are wrapped and coiled in such a way that spell out the name of God, which nobody knows how to pronounce today. Well, I mean, we have some guesstimates, but we don't know for sure. He has a name written that no one knew except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. He's a king that conquered, he's wearing so many crowns, he conquered all those kings, and he's wearing their blood on his robes. And he has a name which is called the Word of God. That's no one else but Yeshua. Um, and the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Wow. That's scary, somebody just wielding the sword regularly, but a sword coming out of the mouth. So that he may strike down the nations, and he may rule them with an iron rod, and tread the winepress of the furious wrath of Elohe Zevaot, that is, the God of heavenly armies. On his robe and on his thigh, which is where the seat seat hang, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a fearsome depiction of this lamb what a fearsome depiction of this lion in lamb's clothing that is who we serve that is who won our salvation for us the most masculine manly baddest thing anybody could have ever done for us was to do what yeshua did and died on the cross don't ever tell me that he's a wimp He's a loser. He was defeated because he died on the cross. He went there willingly. Did he not say I could have called a legion of angels, 10,000 angels to rescue me? Peter, put away your sword. I mean, if I, I could call these angels. I don't even need your sword. I don't need you to protect me. Jesus wasn't murdered. Nobody murdered Jesus. He said, I lay my life down willingly and I take it up again. No man takes my life from me. No man. I do it on purpose. I do it willingly. How many people do you know that died for you? That is. For sure. That's a bad biblical donkey. That's what, that's what I'll say. <laughs>
And that is the God that we serve. That is the God that loved us so much that he willingly let his son go through that torture. But he knew he was going to, he willingly laid down his life and he rose from the dead. He became a victor over death. He conquered death. Death is the, the, the biggest, baddest foe that we're ever going to face in this life. And he defeated it for us. We will defeat it because he defeated it. Because he rose, we will rise again. Now, if anybody's here tonight, unless the Lord changes my message, I'm going to be talking about the resurrection. And I'm going to be talking about the evidence for the resurrection. Has anybody ever heard of the Shroud of Turin? A lot of people think, oh, it's not the real thing it is, but it's never been proven a fake. Never. Not one shroud. Yeah, you, did you see a documentary on that? So that's what we're going to be talking about. And they just found something new on the shroud that couldn't have been discovered when they researched it so many years ago in the 70s. Because technology has advanced so much that it took this special computer to analyze the shroud and it found something new. It's no mistaking who's on the shroud. So, uh, you know, since we're in that season and a lot of you are going to be going to church on Sunday and celebrating the resurrection. I'm going to be talking about that tonight. Uh, so you don't want to miss it uh, if you can be there. So let's go ahead and uh, close with a blessing over the word and then we'll get to a song. But the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of God is quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retains her. Hmm. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Bashem Yeshua Moshinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.